Thank you, Beth, choir, orchestra. I apologize for not having been here the last couple of weeks. I had this stuff that a lot of people have. I, I went to uh, Dr. Phillips, our resident physician here at the church, and he prescribed some medication for me. And I didn't get any better. I thought he was going to kill me. So I went back to my old doctor, Dr. Reinhardt. He's prescribed some new medication, and I think I might be able to make it through. But uh, Dr. Phillips is not the best doctor I've ever had. He is, <laughs> he's always willing to, to prescribe stuff, but most of the time it doesn't work. But at, at any rate, you know, you get what you pay for. A few years ago, Henry Blackaby wrote a book titled Experiencing God. The premise of the book was find out what God is doing and join Him. Well, that makes absolute sense. Find out what God is doing and join Him. And the truth is it had widespread implications. For instance, in our missions ministry, find out where God is at work, put your resources there, put your finances there, find out where God is at work and join Him. In the church, what is God blessing? Find out what God is doing in the church and put your efforts there, your resources there. In your life as individuals, find out what God is doing and focus in that area. So, it is find out what God is doing and join Him in what He is doing. That makes absolute sense to me, but there has always been a nagging question in my mind about it. Can one always know where God is at work? Can one always know what God is doing? Now there are those times when it's obvious that God is at work in an area. When that happens, then God is honored, the church is strengthened, and lost are saved. When those things happen, we know that God is at work there. But what about those other times? Those times when, when we don't see the blessings of God, we don't hear the voice of God. What about those times? Can we always know where God is at work? The Bible says in Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I don't know where you are in this, but this has always been an issue with me. Can I always know where God is at work and what am I to do regardless? That's what I want us to look at today. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Job chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse number 8. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. 
So Satan said, well, why, why wouldn't Job be a faithful servant? You blessed him. But put forth thy hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse thee to thy face. Then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. All right. We know that God is at work. I don't think there's any question about that. We probably would all agree with that, that God is at work. And God has a plan. For instance, he has a plan for the salvation of mankind. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 4, Paul wrote, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So the Lord prepared for your salvation before he created the world. So we know that he has a plan, that he is at work in the salvation of mankind. We know that he has a plan for your life because the Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. All right. So God then is at work. He has a plan. We know that. But he normally does his work in the lives of people. He uses people to do his work usually. For instance, in the time of Noah, the Bible says that during Noah's time that the world was given over to sinfulness. In Genesis chapter 6, verse number 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So then during the times then of Noah, the Bible says that man was given over to sin, that his thoughts were evil continually. The Bible says that at that time, God was grieved. In Genesis chapter 6, verse number 6, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. All right. So during this time of Noah, the Bible says that the world was given over to sinfulness. God was grieved in his heart. So where was God at work? I think it would have been difficult to see the work of God at this time. The world is given over to sinfulness. God is grieved in his heart. So where was God at work? Well, the Bible says that he was at work in the life of Noah. Because God had said to him, Noah, I am going to judge the earth. I want you to build an ark by which man is going to be saved. So even though they probably did not see the hand of God, they did not see the work of God, God nevertheless was at work. Then there's the story of Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse number 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. All right, so the promise that the Lord made to Abraham is I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you this land that he described and he said I am also going to give you descendants. In Genesis chapter 17 verse 16 he said, and I will bless her, Sarah, his wife, and indeed I will give you a son by her. 
Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall come from her. All right, so you look then at the time of Abraham and Sarah. They're nearly 100 years old, so where is God at work? He was miraculously at work in their lives, and he was building the nation of Israel. He said, kings will come from you. I'm giving you this land. I'm giving you descendants. So God was at work. Though it may not have been easily seen, God was at work building a nation. What about Moses? During the time of Moses, the Bible says the Hebrew people were in bondage. They were enslaved by the Egyptians. They were suffering. They cried out to God, asking for deliverance. You know, I would imagine had you said to those Hebrews who were suffering under the yoke of slavery, find out where God is at work and join him, they might have said, I don't know where he's at work. I don't see God doing anything. We are enslaved. We are suffering. Even though they may not have seen the work of God, God nevertheless was at work. He was at work in the, in the life of Moses and he says, Therefore come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. God, where are you at work so I might join you? It isn't always easy to see, but God is always at work. He's at work in our lives and he is largely revealed his plan to us through his word. If you're interested in his plan, you will normally find it in his word. The problem with most of us is that we're really not that interested in God's plan for our lives. For instance, I would say to you who are, who are students and you're planning to marry someday, what, what, what would God's plan be for you? Well, I think his plan for me would be that I would find a beautiful woman to marry. Someone who would maybe cook. She's always happy when I come home. Well, maybe so. It doesn't always turn out that way. When well, I did for me. But it doesn't always turn out that way for everybody. So what would God's plan be? Well, first of all, if you are a believer, it is his plan that you marry a believer. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? I, I told my children when they were younger, I said, don't be a missionary in your dating life. Now, you might not agree with that, but that's nevertheless the way that I saw it. If you are, if you are a Christian, if you're a believer, if you're committed to God, then you ought to marry a believer. And then you love that person that you marry. The Bible says that we are to love our wives as, husband, as, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So God then has a plan for you if you're interested in it. Parents and children, God has a plan for the family as well. He has said to the parents, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will, he will not depart from it. All right, so... Parents, if you have children, you have a responsibility under God according to his word. You're to be a parent. That's the reason that God gave children to parents, because parents are supposed to be parents. 
So you have a responsibility. But children, you are to respond. In Ephesians 6, 1, he said, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So he says then to parents, Parents, you are, you are to be responsible. You are to be a parent. And children, you are to be obedient. Folks, let me tell you something. And I know that this is, this is uh, probably not something that you will read in Good Housekeeping or whatever it is that they have now. I don't know. But whatever it is, you'll probably not read this in it. The family is not a democracy. Parents have the responsibility to parent. I remember years ago, I was a member of the Kiwanis Club, and they kicked me out because I was unfaithful. But at any rate, to them, not to Linda. I just couldn't make all the meetings. But I remember that we had a psychiatrist who came once, and he was talking. He said, uh, he was talking about being a parent, having children, and those things. And he said that his son had come home and said, I'm going to paint my room black, and I'm going to hang these posters on. He said, no, you're not. He said, yes, I am. It's my room. He said, no, it's not. He said, this is your home, but it's my house. He said, your name's not on the deed. You can go and look. You see, the family is not a democracy. Parents have the obligation. They have the responsibility to parent their children. So that's God's plan. His finance for the church, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That is God's plan for the financing his work. I know that there are people who, I've heard this all my life, and they say, well, if you don't give God what is his, he's going to take it. Maybe he does. I, that's not the way that I've seen it. I just think you miss his blessings. I, I, I think that whenever we don't trust God in the area of our finances, that we are working things out ourselves, and so we miss his blessings. Linda and I have been faithful all of our married life, just about in tithing and, and giving to the Lord. I'm absolutely amazed how God has blessed us, but not much. But he has blessed us. But that's God's plan. He has a plan for salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So God has a plan. He is at work. That's what I want you to understand. God is at work. Whether you see it or not, God is at work. But secondly, what about those times when God is silent? What about those times when it is hard to see God at work? What about those times? Well, those are times of testing. Now look at verse number 11. But put forth thy hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse thee to thy face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. This is a time of testing for Job. He is going through a time of testing. And, and the testing included his possessions. Look at verse number 14. A messenger came to Job and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans attacked and took them. He lost his possessions just like that. Time of testing. Lost his possessions. That can be a time of testing, can it not? When we lose our possessions. I was watching the news the other night. There was a lady being interviewed in Houston. They had, of course, the flood there. She was taken back to her home for the first time. An attractive lady, a beautiful home. And when they took her in where the house had been flooded, they asked the question, how do you feel? That's a time of testing. How do you feel? You know what she said? God is good all the time. Not just when circumstances are favorable. 
these things can be replaced. You see, when we lose our possessions, that can be a time of testing. It's not an easy time. And then there was the testing of his children in verse number 18. While he was still speaking, another came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died. That can be a, a time of testing, can it? He lost his children. He lost his health in chapter 2, verse number 7. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. His spouse turned against him in chapter 2, verse number 9. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. So there's the testing of his wife. There's the testing of his friends. All of his friends turned against him. So whenever you look at Job, this is a time of testing. This is a time of silence. And he lost his possessions. He lost his children. His wife turned against him. His friends turned against him. But folks, when we go through such times and God is silent, it may be a test. And it was for Job. So the Bible says in Job 10, 7, I am indeed not guilty. I'm not guilty, yet there is no deliverance from thy hand. God, I'm not guilty, but where's the deliverance? Ladies and gentlemen, the fact is, without a test, there's no testimony. You have to go through the test to build a testimony. But when we don't see the hand of God or hear his voice, oftentimes we are left confused and Job was. I, I've read this book so many times, and Job was confused. He didn't understand why he was going through this. So in Job 10, 2, he said, I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why thou dost contend with me. He was confused. God, why am I going through this? I don't know what I have done. I've been faithful to you best I knew. Why am I going through this? He was confused. Folks, Whenever we go through tough times in life and we don't hear the voice of God, we don't see the hand of God, we become confused. I know that I did when my dad died. I was confused. I said, why is this happening? Why did it happen to my dad? He was 43 years old, a good man. He was a Christian. He was a deacon, faithful uh, husband, father, all those things. Lord, why did that happen? And when we go through those times of testing like that and it seems that God is silent. Sometimes we are confused. We can become discouraged. In chapter 3, verse number 1, afterward Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was to be born and the night which said a boy is conceived. Verse 11, why did I not die at birth? Come forth from the womb and expire. He was discouraged. Why didn't I just die? Why was I even born? Why am I going through this? He said, my breath is offensive to my wife and I am loathsome to my own brothers. The point is, folks, when we go through these times and we don't know why, we can be confused, we can be discouraged, and we can become angry. And Job became angry. In Job 23, verses 3 and 4, he said, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, 
that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. He said, if I had the opportunity to come to God, I would tell him, this is not just. What is happening to me is not fair. And folks, the fact is, when we go through times of testing and God is silent, we are vulnerable to disobedience. When we're going through a difficult time and we don't know what God is doing, we are vulnerable to compromising our walk with God. Tozier wrote, Christianity is achieving acceptance by compromise. It is dickering with the unregenerate world for acceptance. When we go through such times and we're not sure what God is doing and it doesn't seem fair to us, then oftentimes we listen to the siren song of the world. Billy Graham wrote, advertisers promise happiness and fulfillment. If only we will use their products. Philosophers and self-improvement gurus promise success and inner peace. If only we will buy their books or tapes. Their promises, however, always fall short. You know, the truth is, when we don't see God in our lives and in our world in a dramatic enough fashion, we are tempted to leave God and go with the world. I read a statistic the other day. It said in 2007, 16% of Americans profess no religious affiliation. In 2014, seven years later, 23% of Americans identify with no religious affiliation. See, I, I, I just think that we are not seeing the power of God in such a way or we're not understanding from his word what God is doing. And as a result of that, we are tempted to compromise into worldliness. And through our disobedience, we grieve the Lord, just as they did during the time of Noah. Spurgeon wrote, how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? If you set your heart upon anything that is evil, the Spirit of God will be grieved. He is grieved because he sees that you love worldly things better than you love him. We grieve the Holy Spirit when he sees that we love the things of this world better than we love him. In our disobedience, we lose our identity with God. I read an interesting story about Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks. He offered WGN Chicago radio sports talk host David Kaplan $50,000 to change his name to Dallas Maverick. He refused to do so, and so Cuban offered him $100,000 if he would, and then another $100,000 to his favorite charity. He refused again. He said, I'd be saying I'd do anything for money and that bothers me. My name is my birthright. I'd like to preserve my integrity and credibility. Folks, when we who name the name of Jesus live our lives in a worldly fashion in disobedience to his word, we lose our identity as the people of God. We might be Baptists, we might be Methodists, we might be Presbyterians or something else, but not the people of God.
Being the people of God is different from belonging to a religious denomination. And when we compromise our walk with him, we lose our identity with him. God is sometimes silent. We don't hear his voice. We don't see his work. And we become vulnerable to temptation. But in time, God delivers. We do see his work. Sometimes God delivers us from the problem. Now that was true with Noah. God was going to judge the earth. And he said to Noah, I am going to judge the earth with a flood. So I want you to build an ark by which the righteous are going to be preserved. They're going to be delivered. So Noah then was delivered from the problem. Same thing was true with Lot. God was going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, but he said to Lot, Lot, I want you to get your family and get out of here before the judgment. He was delivered from the judgment. Sometimes we are delivered from the problem. Sometimes we are delivered from the judgment. God says, I want you to get away from it. I want you to get out of it. Sometimes we are delivered from it. Sometimes, however, God delivers us through the problem. He allows us to go through and then he delivers us. Now that was true with Job. When we study the book of Job, we see that he, he, he went through the difficulties, he lost his possessions, he lost his health, he lost his family, he lost his wife's support, he lost his friends, he lost all of this, he went through this, and then God delivered him. The Bible says in Job 42, 10 and 12, and the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. Job went through the difficulty, then God delivered him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through the furnace, and then God delivered them. Daniel went through the lion's den, and then God delivered him. Folks, sometimes we have to go through before deliverance. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. God is faithful. Yesterday, early yesterday morning, Linda and I went to Houston to participate in the funeral service of Aldine Bassanio. Got back late last night. As I had been studying, preparing from the book of Job, I was thinking about John. John Bassanio, my dear friend. And I thought about John and what he, is, he has been through. He's lost his health. He has cancer. He lost his house. His house was flooded during Harvey. And last week, he lost his wife. I said, John, how do you handle it? 
And he said, God is faithful, and I trust him. Sometimes we go through, but even when we do, God is faithful. I conclude that when God reveals his will and we see his work, we see his hand, we are to obey him. We are to join him. Had Noah not built the ark, being obedient to God, he would have perished. When you see the hand of God, join him. There are other times when it seems that God is silent. And when God is silent and we don't see so readily his hand, we trust him. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. My friend, if we are the children of God, the people of God, whether we see his hand easily or we don't, we're obedient and we trust him. Our Father in God, I come to you to lift up these. I don't know what they're going through. I'm sure that there are some who are delivered from problems. There are others who are going through the difficulties, and I just pray for them. I pray, Father, that regardless that they will join with you where they see you at work and they will trust you when they don't. I pray, Father, for those who have never come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, that today they would. And I pray, Father, for others who need to make commitments to you, that they would be obedient to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a moment, we will stand. The choir will sing a hymn of invitation. We extend an invitation to you. If you're here and never trusted Christ, would you today, would you commit your life to him? If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. We'd love to have you. The staff will be here to receive you. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do. seated.